this is our third week in this same scripture, and we still have three more times together I'm after the day in it. But welcome to week three of our messenger series, where we are dissecting the message that the angel gave to the shepherds on that first Christmas night. So just imagine, just imagine the shepherds gazing into the darkness, seeing the outline of sheep across the hill, suspecting or assuming that that night would be just as boring as every other night before it. And then suddenly um, the darkness was pierced by a heavenly visitor who radiated light and, of course, who reflected the glory of God. And their immediate response, according to the Bible, was great fear. The angel says to them, don't do that. Fear not. And apparently they believed the angel. They obeyed the angel and they regained their senses enough to hear the glorious announcement, which is, as some people said, is the simplest explanation of the gospel ever given. So think about it. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Pastor David Jeremiah put it this way in thinking about this amazing news. He says, this is news from another world, for behold, I bring you this is good news, good tidings. This is joyful news of great joy. This is global news, which will be for all people. This is nativity news, for there is born. This is personal news to you. This is breaking news this very day. This is Davidic news in the city of David. This is saving news, a savior. This is messianic news, who is Christ. And this is life-changing news. He is the Lord. So as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the message which this angel gave to these shepherds 2,000 years ago is still being spoken to us today. Fear not. Um, good news. We saw two weeks ago and last week, great joy for all people, a Savior. And then the last Sunday of this year, Christ the Lord. So this morning, just navigating through this amazing phrase, great Joy. Have you ever noticed how much joy there is in the Christmas story? Which is odd because there is so little joy oftentimes among God's people during this time of year. And yet this story, just think about the Christmas joy. It started when the angel came to an old couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who could not have children for telling the birth of their son, John the Baptist. And it says, the angel says, he will be a joy to you. When cousins Elizabeth and Mary visited each other, the unborn baby in her womb, get this, leapt for joy in the presence of this promise and the Savior. An unborn baby leaping in the womb. Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her favor and kindness. And it says that they shared her joy. When the angel Gabriel approached Mary with the Annunciation, the first word that he told her was a command, literally, rejoice. So it's interpreted, Mary, be full of joy, for that is a command. Be full of joy. Then, in the text that is called Mary's Song, she cries out, Yes, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then, when the angel comes to the shepherds after Jesus' birth, get this, the message was not in that moment joy, but now great joy. Because Christmas is not about normal joy. Christmas is about great joy. Christmas is about supernatural joy. God himself has set Christmas apart. He has come down in the person of his son. The word has become 
flesh. The long-awaited Savior is born. I know we know this. I know we get this. But if this is old news to you, the problem is not with the news, it's with you. So just understand that if, if this is old news to you, the problem is not with the news. The problem is with your heart in this moment. So not only did God fill his world, world with joy, God has filled his word with joy. In fact, over 200 times in our English Bible, we read the word joy. 60 times in the New Testament, we are confronted with the word joy. Joy is not just a minor note in God's word. It's a massive, unavoidable theme all throughout God's word, the joy that God desires to give his people. Yet, of the 60 times in the New Testament where the word joy is mentioned, only six times do we read the phrase great joy. So joy is the stuff of everyday life, whereas great joy is kept for the highest of moments. Matthew, according to Matthew 2.10, as we read earlier, and Luke 2.10, as we're about to read, mention great joy at Jesus' birth. So Christ's coming is not just an occasion for simple joy, but for great joy. Both Gospels of Matthew, um, Matthew 28.8 and Luke 24. Um, 52 also celebrate great joy in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So when the darkness of his torture and crucifixion had passed, good news began to spread of his resurrection. And his resurrection is great joy for us. And Acts 15, 13 mentions great joy. Get this, when the Gentiles are now included in the new covenant people of God. So according to Luke 15, 10, if there is joy before the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents, how about an outbreak of great joy when God opens up his kingdom to all people? And that might not bring great joy to your life today, but that's the only reason you're in. That's the only reason I'm in, because God has opened the door for us. And then the sixth occasion in the New Testament for great joy is found in the, the book of Jude, only one chapter, verse 24. Listen to what it says. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. According to the word of God, the day that we stand before God and the day that we see Jesus face to face will not be an ordinary day. It will be a day of great joy that will usher in for us an eternity of great joys, an eternity of ever-increasing joy for us, which means that great joy can be ours. It can be ours now, and it will be ours forever. So I want us to come to Luke 2. Once again, hear the angelic or the heavenly um, message of great joy that is ours. Or maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God. It can be yours this very day. It can be yours. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. If you're able, as we honor God's word, we're going to read verses 8 through 14 together. And it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And God, we thank you that you offer to us through your son, not just an ordinary joy, but a supernatural joy that will see us through every difficulty in this life and will be fulfilled in an even greater way in the life to come where we will experience ever-increasing joys. Father, help us to see that that is the God-given desire of our hearts. Help us to also see today that we settle for things that aren't given to us by you and instead settle for things that are given to us by this world to try to substitute your joy for it. And it cannot and it will not ever satisfy. Father, today just speak to your people. Speak to us, God. Speak to us, for we are listening. For we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you, O oh God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So just think about this. It's kind of the understatement of the day. Everyone is looking for joy. Marketing companies even know this. Every commercial in some way promises it. Even Pepto-Bismol commercials in some way promises joy to us. Hey, you don't like this? I'll give you something that will help you out. Or just think about it. You want some joy? Um, buy this lotion or buy this laundry detergent. You want some joy? Sleep on this mattress. You want some joy? Buy this car. Eat at this restaurant. Wear these clothes. Everyone is promising joy, but the question becomes, can they really deliver it? And the answer, of course, is no. They, they can't deliver. Even all of the things that this season, from a worldly perspective, is trying to throw at us, it can't deliver what it says it's going to deliver for us. Our text today reminds us that God is the only one that can deliver and has delivered for us joy. Have you ever wondered why this Bible is so lengthy? Have you ever wondered why this Bible is so lengthy? And here's what I believe, and here's what I read this week. One reason this Bible is so lengthy is because God is so patient. That this Bible is so long because God is so long-suffering. God is so patient. And why is He so patient? First of all, because He loves us. But even more specifically, because He's been carefully executing a plan from the beginning to share His endless joy with us. From the beginning, a plan to share his joy with you and me. Yet, here's our problem. We don't always think about him in that way. And it's to our detriment that we don't think of a God who desires our joy, which is really his joy given to us. Let me explain. Think with me about this amazing, incredible man named Santa Claus. So just think with me here. So we, we immediately think of white hair, white beard, rosy cheeks, red outfit, and basically what we think of a man who is jolly and nice. So that's our thought process. Even though, so even though we sing songs about him that declare he's making a list, he's checking it not just once but twice because he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. I mean, that's kind of creepy, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And even in the midst of these kind of descriptions, we close our eyes and we thank Santa and we go, he's good. He's good. He's jolly and nice. Yet, get this, and this shows 
our sinful heart, when we think about God, we often focus on the negative. And I don't, I don't mean negative from God's perspective because there is no negative characteristic of God. I mean from our perspective is that oftentimes we don't like the holiness of God or we don't like the anger or the justice of God. So, or, so we throw it out. We're like, I don't like that. I feel like I have to apologize for it. But here's the point. We act like God is trying to rob us of something which couldn't be further from the truth. God is not trying to rob you of anything. God is trying to give you everything. He's trying to give you everything that you could ever need and everything that you will need in the world to come. So therefore, in this season of buying presents, trying to get our kids to be grateful um, for those presents, decorating the house, searching for some warm and fuzzy feeling along the way, it's so easy to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle where we forget where our true joy and our true security is really found. Listen, whether this... Christmas season is a season full of joy for you or whether this Christmas season is a season full of pain for you. According to the word of God, it can be a season of great joy for all of us. And that is what I'm praying for for all of us today in this room. So with the time that we have remaining, I want to unpack two truths today. First of all, related to an artificial joy that we often buy into and we give into like it's going out of style and then True joy, which only God can give us. So two truths today. Don't get used to it, George. Eventually, I'm going to break out of this. But two truths today. The first is this. There is an artificial joy that is dependent upon circumstances. There is an artificial joy that is dependent upon circumstances. So on that first Christmas night, the angel offered great joy to us. Yet we often settle for something far less than that. And what we settle for is this. Hear this. We settle for the pursuit of happiness. And let's be honest, that pursuit is tied up into who we are as Americans, right? I mean, we, we all know the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among those are, say them with me, life, liberty, and there we go, right there in our Declaration of Independence. We are a people programmed to seek after happiness. But here's the problem. Not a biblical form of joy and happiness, but an, an earthly form of happiness where we get happiness based on what is happening. We are prone. It's ingrained in us. I read this week about a survey conducted all over the world of mothers asking them what they desired for their children. So Jewish mothers primarily desire their kids to be obedient to their family and their culture. Asian mothers primarily desire their children to be smart and successful. American mothers, here we go once again, primarily desired their children to be happy. I just want my children to be happy. Think about this. this isn't just, it's not just out there. It's in here. Do you know the number one question that parents ask their children when they pick them up from church is not, what did you learn about God today? It's not, how is God working in your life? It is, did you have fun? The number one question parents are asking kids, you know what, parents, we don't even ask our kids that when we pick them up from school. But yet somehow, someway, if they're not having fun at church, we want to find a fun church for them because we're programmed in our sinfulness that we have to be seeking after happiness all the time. 
Even, even in church, if we're not being told things that make us happy or feel good about ourselves, we will chase that all over the place. This is ingrained in us in a way that shows us how far we've been misled, how far we've fallen from God's desire of joy for us. I think of the words of Blaise Pascal. Uh, he's a, or excuse me, was a French See if I can get it all right. Mathematician, physicist, inventor, writer, and theologian in the 1600s. And yet he wrote um, these words back in the 1600s. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So even people who take their own lives are seeking some form of happiness. It's rooted and ingrained in everything that we do. We're seeking after some form of happiness. But here's the problem. The world, what the world calls happiness is this. It's getting Control of your life in such a way that you keep your circumstances favorable. That's what the world calls happiness. So you get control of your life. You take control of your life so that you keep all the circumstances of your life um, favorable. You know, worldly happiness goes away when things get bad. So this form of happiness is sought after by the world, but it's, it's artificial. It's not true joy. One pastor described three types of artificial joy that exists in our world, and I just want to give those to you, but not just in our world, in our lives. The first is fake joy. It's the most egregious forgery of true joy, and let me tell you where it, where it lies. Fake joy is the joy that we take in sin. It's the joy that we take in sin, the bait that's on the hook of temptation. This this fake joy, get this, it makes sin not only possible, but repeatable. Where we keep doing it over and over and over again. Yet it will not lead to joy. It's sinful and lustful desires parade as joy, causing momentary um, delight even as our souls are poisoned. Let me say something to all of us in this room. If you are giving the keys to your happiness to anything that isn't God, I don't care if it's circumstances, if it's somebody else, if it's something else. If you're giving the keys to your happiness to anything that is not God, you have bitten the hook and you are being reeled in whether you know it or not. This is the reality of what fake joy does. It is sinful and it will lure us away from God every single time. The second kind of artificial joy is fragile joy. We kind of just said this, but fragile joy is the delight that comes as we enjoy favorable circumstances. Meaning, when life is going good, let me just back up for a second. This is the kind of joy that exists mostly in the church today. What I mean by that is this. When everything in my life is going the way I want it to, then praise God. He is worthy of praise, and I will even sing louder than ever before. But when my life sucks and everything is spiraling downhill, then God, where are you? And I'm not singing today. I'm just not going to do it. And we refuse to do it in that way. So when we're getting what we want, God is worthy. When we're not getting what we want, God isn't worthy, which leads us to say, if that's the case, then who really is God? We are. We are. 
Not God. If, if God exists to give us everything we want, then he's not God. We are. And yet that is the kind of picture that we bring in to, to what we're doing here. And it's fragile. It will not hold up. It will break apart even in our hands. And then the third type of artificial joy is, get this, fading joy. Fading joy. It's a type of joy rooted in God's common grace to people. So in case you don't understand that, there are two types of grace that God gives to people. First of all, God gives special grace to those who he has saved. So those he has saved has a special grace, things that we are given by God that people outside of that, outside of salvation, cannot experience. But there is also common grace, which God gives to all people. These blessings include things such as breath. That's common grace that God gives to all people. Talents, abilities. Um, Think of other things such as family, possessions, position, um, health, achievement, um, the beauty of a sunrise, even the ability to learn lessons from difficult situations. People outside of, of God's relationship with God are able to do those things, but the problem is none of those things will last forever. They are all fading away. If you gain the world and you don't have God, you have nothing. The best that this world offers to us is fading away. It is fragile. It is fake. It cannot satisfy. It makes me think of the book of, and this is a weird transition here, but it makes me think of the book of Habakkuk. In the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was God's prophet. And yet he looked at the people of Judah and he saw them sinning and sinning and sinning and God wasn't doing anything about it. So Habakkuk said, God, how long are you going to let them keep sinning before you do something about it? And so God answers and God says, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send evil Babylonians to come. They're going to wipe them all out. And Habakkuk says, why would you do that, God? That's not what I meant. Why would you punish us by using a more sinful people? And so Habakkuk is this struggle between a wrestling match, between Habakkuk and God going, God, why would you do that? It doesn't make sense to me. But finally, the book ends with these words. And they're on the screen, Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Listen to what Habakkuk says. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes in the vine. Though the olive crops fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Basically what he's saying is, though we lose everything. Because we're about to lose everything. Everything is about to be taken away from us. And then he says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Let me make it very clear this morning, brothers and sisters. Artificial joy could never say that. Artificial joy could never, ever say that. Because artificial joy is dependent on making sure we get what we want. And we have the feelings and the circumstances that we feel like we have to have for our earthly artificial joy to bloom and to grow. Listen, happiness will always be dependent on happenings. There must be more. There must be more. And praise God there is. There is. So there is an artificial joy that is dependent on circumstances. And then secondly, praise God, there is an authentic joy completely dependent on Christ. There is an authentic joy that's completely dependent on Jesus. So what does Christmas mean to us? As believers, here's what Christmas means to us. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. 
That's what it means to us. It means that God has found a solution for our problem of sin. There was a time when Adam and Eve walked uninterrupted in the joy of the Lord. And then sin came and messed it all up. And sin caused them or joy to flee from them. And instead, unhappiness and discontentment filled joy's place. And this is the root problem of us with sin. We are filled with discontentment and we are filled with unhappiness and unfulfillment. Yet praise God where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Here is a beautiful word today for you. Your failure is not the end of your story. Our failure doesn't have to be the end of our story. Our sorrow can be replaced by joy because of the grace of our God. Our sorrow, our sin, all of it can be replaced by joy. For us as believers, listen, the Christian life isn't an invitation to be a moral person. It's not an invitation to obey all the rules. The Christian life is an invitation to enter into the joy of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the Christian life, an invitation to enter into the joy of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So back to the Christmas story. In Luke 2, verse 10, the angel comes and says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Great joy for mankind. Jesus has come. But does does that mean that because Jesus has come, we'll always get what we want? Does that mean because Jesus has come and because we've accepted him, um, we'll, we'll be free from pain and suffering? No, that's not what it means. It means that we can have joy even in the presence of pain and suffering. It's the, it's the point. Follow with me here. Don't, don't miss the minor key that runs through the Christmas story. I want you to understand in the midst of the Christmas story, after, after these words of great joy, Guess what we read about in the Gospels? Sorrow after sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. Don't believe me? Let me take you on a quick journey. We read, think about great joy. And then that old man Simeon in Luke Luke 2, 34 and 35, he's about to depart in peace, yet he says to Mary and Joseph, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. His presence will reveal the thoughts of many hearts He says, this child will be the aroma of life and joy and light to some, but this child will also be the aroma of death and misery and darkness to others. And then Simeon looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your own soul. Great joy and a sword is about to cut Mary's heart more deeply than her teenage um, mind could ever, ever imagine. And that's not the only sword in this story. Great joy. And then elsewhere in Bethlehem, according to Matthew 2, 16 through 18, there are other women who are pregnant and who are nursing their babies. And just a short time, soldiers of a wicked and desperate king will break down their doors and slaughter their children. And they will be left to deal with the darkest night of their lives. Great joy. And then in Capernaum, according to Luke 5, 17 through 26, there's a young boy who is paralyzed who will lay on a mat for his whole life while he watches his friends pray, wondering and hoping and wishing, if only I could take up my mat and walk. 
great joy. And somewhere in the country of the Gerasenes, according to Luke 8, 26-39, there is a man in a very few years, his life is going to start to spiral out of control. And a thousand evil voices are going to begin to speak in his mind. And eventually they will take control of his body. Great joy. And somewhere in Galilee, according to Luke 8, 40 through 56, there's a young woman walking the streets. In about 18 years, she's going to start bleeding. And it won't stop. And she will spend over a decade going from one doctor to another doctor to another doctor, spending all of her resources, and yet things will continually get worse for her. Great joy, and 33 years later, according to John 8, 1 through 11, around the Mount of Olives, there will be a man and a woman caught by the religious leaders in the very act of adultery. The woman will be isolated from the man and will be allowed by the religious leaders to bear the guilt of sin. The law is clear. She is deserving of death, a public, painful, embarrassing death. Great joy. And then in Bethany, according to John 11, Mary and Martha, who loved Jesus and knew that he loved them, watched their brother Lazarus get sick and on the verge of death. And they send one of their servants to go to the one who they knew or believed was the Messiah, asking him, please come to us. And as they waited, their brother grew worse. And then they look out the window, they're looking, and they're looking, and finally they see that one servant walking by himself. And they say, did you find him? And he said, yes. And they said, what did he say? And he said, he said that this sickness would not lead to death. And then their brother dies. And they go through four days of unimaginable grief and torment. All throughout the Gospels, we see story after story, after great joy coming, of sorrow and difficulty and pain. And yet, when we know the rest of the story, we know this. There was great joy for all of these. Here's the point. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. But also, hear this, the darkness doesn't disappear. And the truth is, please hear this all across this room, 2,000 years later, we will all have sores that will pierce us in different ways. We will all walk through pain and difficulty, even, even while being promised great joy. Follow with me here. Great joy as families are still being torn apart by relational strife and never-ending conflict, great joy as families and individuals reckon with long-term consequences of abuse, substance abuse, other forms of abuse, childhood trauma, great joy as families and individuals face uncertainty of losing their jobs and not knowing what's going to happen next Great joy as unmarried men and women long and yearn to find someone to share their lives with. Great joy as heavy-hearted couples silently bear the burden of infertility, wondering why God didn't answer and doesn't answer their prayers as he answered Sarah's and Rachel's, Elizabeth's, Hannah's. Great joy as other couples experience the shocking emotional whiplash of miscarriage. Great joy as People all across our lives will get diagnoses this year of cancer and diseases. Great joy as 
families deal with the crippling of anxiety and depression, especially during this time of year. Great joy as parents' hearts are aching because their children have wandered far from the Lord. And then great joy as families grieve the loss of loved ones, even though they might have been gone for a while, the pain still feels as fresh as ever. This ongoing story, please hear this, is a reminder that in this life, in the land of darkness, the great joy of Christmas will never be without its sorrow. The great joy of Christmas will never, ever be without its sorrow. The curse that hangs over this broken world is real. Yet there is good news of great joy for us all. There is a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Therefore, can death take our joy? No, because Jesus has conquered death. Can failure take away our joy? No, because Jesus is greater than our sin. Can betrayal take our joy? No, because Jesus has promised never to leave us or forsake us. Can sickness take our joy? No, because God has promised us whether in this life temporarily or in the next life eternally, He will heal us. Can disappointment take our joy? No, because if our will and purpose and plans aren't accomplished, we know that God's will be. His plans will be accomplished. Death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they cannot take our joy. Get this, because they cannot overcome our Savior. They can't overcome Him. Great joy, great joy has come into a world of great sin of great fear, of great sorrow, and great suffering. In fact, this child, who is joy incarnate, would be a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief. Don't miss it. It will be his great suffering that will lead to our never-ending joy. But here's the question for us today. Is that joy yours? Is that joy yours? If you're not a child of God, the only way that joy will ever be yours is by turning from your sin and turning to Jesus but there's others of us in this room today, you are, you are a child of God, and yet you have given in to the artificial joys of this world, and your joy has been sucked from you. Today, you need to pray the words that David prayed in Psalm 51. After David sinned against God and against Bathsheba and against Uriah and against the people of Israel, he prayed and pled and sought God's face, and ultimately he prayed this, Oh God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That should be the prayer of many across this room today. God, give me the joy that used to be mine in you. Give me the joy that I used to know in you. God, give it to me. Bring it back to me. God, I need it. I cannot walk another step apart from your joy. Is it yours? I want to end today by putting two um, verses up on the screen, and then we're going to turn to another verse. I just want you to think about this. In Matthew 2.10, the first of the great joy verses mentioned in the, in the New Testament, we began with this verse today. When they, speaking of the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They rejoiced in that which was leading them to Jesus. What was it that led you to Jesus? Are you still rejoicing in that? And even today, what is it that still brings you to him? 
I know what it is. It's our insufficiency. It's our failure. It's our inability. It's what God has made us of that cannot compete with what is in the world. Yet he can. Yet he can. Therefore, we should rejoice in anything that makes us fall upon Christ. Anything that makes us seek him for who he is, we should rejoice in. And then look at Jude 24. Here's what's coming. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So here's the picture this morning. What begins, what brings us to Christ and gives us that joy we should rejoice in. We also know that there's a day coming where we will stand before God, see Jesus face to face, and have great joy. But here's the issue. Everything that's in the middle. That's the issue. Everything that's in the middle. Life that's in the middle from here to there. It gets us all. It trips us all up. It steals our joy away. So what hope do we have in the midst of our sorrows? I'm glad you asked. Open with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. I want to give you one promise, and I pray this will be a promise that you will underline, you will highlight, you will memorize, whatever it takes for this to be um, what you see is in the middle between you coming to Christ and one day you being face-to-face with Him. Romans 8, verse 18, it says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me say it again. Paul says this, whatever suffering that I'm going through, it's not even worth comparing to what's coming. And what's coming for us is glory. What's coming for us is an ever-increasing joy. I don't know where you are today, and this is going to kind of be weird. It's okay to be weird in church. I'm going to end today, and we're going to, just a second, about to call the musicians forward. But I believe there are some people in this room that need to, to hear this word again, Romans 8, 18. But not even just hear the word. You need to hear your own voice saying this word. So here's how we're going to kind of begin the process of ending this morning. If you're here and this is for you, I want to encourage you in this moment just to either sit where you are, maybe even stand where you are, and just read Romans 8, 18 so you can hear your own voice declaring God's word, not over our lives, but maybe over your life. And then I'm going to say it one more time. We're going to pray. The musicians are going to come forward, and we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration. So is this for anyone today? Here's your time.
I'll say it for the rest of us. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, whatever that is, whatever we're being asked by God to go through in this moment, it doesn't feel like light and momentary sufferings as Paul describes it. It feels like eternal sufferings that we're going through. Yet, according to the word of God, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Oh, to God that we would believe that today. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to call the musicians forward. And let's enter into this time where we do whatever it is that God is asking us to do. Father, we come before you. And God, we confess first and foremost that we have abandoned the joy that you had desired to give to us by seeking after joys that could never, ever satisfy and things that really aren't even joy to begin with. God, forgive us and bring us back to the authentic joy that can only come through a relationship with you through your son. God, forgive us for trying to use you to get what we want. Forgive us for trying to make you a pawn in this as if we're God and you're here to serve us instead of the other way around. And Lord, forgive us for where we have let life's disappointments and struggles convince us that you aren't good or that you haven't come to your son to give us joy because you have. And we can have joy even in the middle of the deepest, darkest of circumstances. As we see through your word today, even after the great joy, there was difficulty and yet great joy rose above it all. And that can be true of all of our lives. Even in the midst of the difficulty, God, your joy can rise up in us in a way that shows forth your glory now and your glory that's coming. Father, finish this time today. Finish this time today. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. God, give us the joy that used to be ours in you. Restore it, God. Restore it all across this room, the joy that used to be ours in you and in you alone. God, give it back. In Jesus' name, amen.